0: Well, we are going to finish the Great Tribulation today. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Revelation chapter 18. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine that our, our services were interrupted? We're right in the middle of a service, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a commotion in the back. There are four or five young men, and they're coming in the back of the church. They're, they're carrying an old man. They say this really happened. It might have been in the church of Ephesus. They're carrying this old man. He, He looks maybe like a war veteran. He's been through a lot. He's been injured and abused. But if you look at his face, he has a radiance about him. People start to murmur, it's John. It's John. John has come to visit. The young man who was going to preach that day sits down quickly. They bring John, the apostle, up to the front of the group. And he can't speak with the kind of voice that he had when he was young. But there's something about him. Because John has had a vision of the risen Christ. He's he's seen the beginning and he's seen the end. Everyone hangs on his words. If you'd had the experience that John had you would be, you'd be ruined for the ordinary, wouldn't you? And wherever you went, this, this is what they say in church tradition, in, in, his, in the history of the Christian church, they say that when they carried the ancient apostle John into the assembly and he would speak to the people, he probably said something similar to what he wrote in the epistles of John. Do you remember this? For instance, he would often say to people, my little children he had a warm affectionate way about him he when he was a very very young man they say he was the youngest of the apostles and he was very close to jesus and he always called himself the disciple that jesus loved and he spoke in affectional terms about jesus and he'd been through working in churches, being persecuted. In tradition, they say, even dropped into boiling oil. He survives this. He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he has visions of the risen Christ. And imagine he's visiting the churches. He might have said something like this because he had a vision of Jesus. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does, the will of God abides forever. Now John, he saw a vision of the end of the world as we know it. John had a vivid vision of the end of the world, the kind of When the Bible talks about the world and John would often use this term, the world, and Paul would often use this term, the world, and James would often use this term, the world. They weren't talking about the earth, which is good in the creation of God, which God has a future plan for. They were talking about the anti-God world system and John saw the end of the anti-God world system in the most incredible and vivid terms, and he describes it in Revelation 18, where just before the return of Christ in glorious power. And so imagine this conversation with the elderly apostle John who wrote to the churches about the temporary nature of the world system and that is anti-God, and ga- that God gave him a vision. So John saw the new heaven and john saw the new earth and john John saw the new jerusalem can you imagine coming down from out of heaven Uh, and then he saw the throne of god and john saw a vision of the exalted lamb but he also saw the fiery end of this present world that hates god and if we get a picture of this think of this if we get a picture of this fixed in our own souls if we get a picture of this fixed in our own hearts in our own minds we'll be ruined for the ordinary we'll be ready we'll be helped as we as we face the end of the world really as we know it and so we're going to read this text in john 18 1 through 24 and today we'll conclude the teaching on the great tribulation and next sunday lord willing this will be a conclusion and an introduction next sunday we begin a fresh new series of of messages all together because We're going to teach through the last four books of the Bible, and we're going to call that series The Ultimate Universe. We're going to talk about the sweetest part of the entire Bible, how God describes what it's going to be like forever and always. The return of Christ, the millennial kingdom, the last judgment, the eternal state. This is what we get to look forward to. And I hope that you'll read ahead and you'll study ahead. But first, the end of the world as we know it. And if you listen carefully as we read through Revelation 18, what you're gonna see is there are four voices that you hear. Matter of fact, I borrowed this wonderful idea from an old Bible teacher who's with the Lord now named Warren W. Wearsby. He was WWW before the World Wide Web, wasn't he? He, he gave this outline. I thought it was good. I'll remind you of this as we read through us. He said, first you hear a voice of condemnation. It's going to be a voice from heaven that condemns the anti-God world system. And it's a powerful voice of condemnation in verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 4 through 8, you hear another voice. It's a voice of separation. There's, there's a command that comes out of heaven saying to the faithful, separate from this world system. Don't be judged with it. Don't participate in it. Very interesting. And then there's a long, frightening section, chapter 18, verses 9 through 19. It's a voice of lamentation. And who's lamenting? It's the kings of the earth are seeing their system go down and go down with finality. So you have a voice of condemnation. You have a voice then of separation. You have a voice of lamentation, and it will end... Is surprising with a voice of celebration because now, because the big theme of this we don't want to miss, and that is this, that God is vindicating the faithfulness of his people. That God is vindicating his people. Uh, Eddie Beasley and I exchanged text the last few weeks. I, I'm pretty sure, Eddie, where are you? Are you hiding out in the balcony today? There he is, way in the back of the balcony. So, Last week, we exchanged texts, and, and, I, and, and I said, the sweet spot is verse 14. This week, he, he wrote me, and he said, I think I found the sweet spot. And by the way, that's a neat way to look at a passage. When you look at a pericope or a, a unit of thought in the Bible, a, a chunk that a pastor might preach out of, where's the sweet spot? Where's the big idea? What's the matter of fact, it might be the path to the cross— the sweet spot in this passage is a statement of the vindication of the saints. So just keep that in mind. There is rejoicing in this very dark, frightening, sad passage. Remember that those who were faithful and who knew the Lord, and they, they, they end in victory and their, their enemies are defeated with finality. Are you ready to read this amazing passage? It's 24 verses. It's about probably about a five-minute read. So let's, let's give attention to God's word. In Revelation 18:1, this is the voice of condemnation. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Babylon, which is a placeholder for the anti-God world system, is being condemned by this first voice. And then there's this command of separation, verse 4, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has been, has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since her heart in her heart she says i sit as a queen i am no widow and mourning i shall never see for this reason her plagues will come in a single day death mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire for the mighty is the lord who has judged her this is a voice of separation get out and then a long section here voice of lamentation verse 9 the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when she When they see the smoke of her burning, they will stand afar off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys her cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves that is human souls the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you never to be found again the merchants of these wares who gain well from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment weeping and mourning aloud alas alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen in purple and scarlet adorned with gold with jewels and with pearls for in a single hour All this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those who trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying, Alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour she was laid waste Their mourning this world system was wealthy but it wouldn't sustain those who depended upon it in this in this single hour of judgment so now we have a voice of celebration verse 20 rejoice over her O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets for god has given judgment for you against her And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a a great millstone and threw it in the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And the craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more for your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth well, now this is a dark end to the world that opposes God I want to show you 10 reasons from this passage why you should not invest in this world system. One, one day soon, and I mean suddenly, God will call the faithful out of it. Over and over the Bible says this, be prepared for the Lord to come, call out the faithful don't 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 invest in this world system don't be intimidated by this world system don't depend on this world system don't be seduced by this world system because god will call the the faithful out of it and and this is what god always does all throughout the bible you have a call to separation for people who really know god from the world system and there's a subtlety to this it doesn't mean that we leave the world because jesus himself said in that high priestly prayer i'm not praying that i take you out of the world but it's kind of like but i take the world out of you and so On the one hand, there's a a bit of balance here. On the one hand, a real believer is to have a radical identification with the people in the world, to have a love for the world, for God so loved the world. We love those who are the enemies of God. God loves his enemies. We have a radical identification in the sense that we too have been broken by sin, just as they've been broken by sin. Our only hope is grace. Their only hope is grace. This is what we have in common they're human beings that don't even know god yet are created by god they're creatures of god created by god and so they have worth value and dignity as creations of god but the world system that's anti-god true believers always separate themselves from it take a quick bible survey like psalm one don't sit in the seat of the scoffer stand in the way of sinners that right John says it himself when he sees this vision of God. Don't love the world. or the things in the world, the world is passing away. The one who does the will of God abides forever. Paul wrote about it, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6 and 7. And he says, touch not the unclean thing, be separate. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We don't have fellowship. We love unbelievers, but we can't have fellowship with them because they don't love God. Fellowship is reserved for those who are all pulling in the same direction. This is something we cannot lose. This is repeated over and over in the Bible from the beginning to the end. There's a moral and ethical distinction between people who are following Jesus and people who aren't. Now sometimes religious groups have have decided that what they would do is they would have like uniforms to look different. They would wear... Usually the girls have to wear the uniform for some reason. Um, sometimes the boys too. They have, they have certain clothing that sets people apart visually. The scriptures really... You don't see this, the New Testament teaching that. This is, it's a deeper thing. It's a bigger thing. It's moral and ethical difference. Am I making sense? We could all just wear a dunce cap and say, Christians wear weird shaped hats like this. Christians look stupid. Christians are weird. Well, they might be you know that might be true but there's no command in the bible go out and look weird for jesus so if you're doing that you're on your own jesus didn't tell you to do that <laughs> groups that do that become sects, sometimes cults but the church of jesus christ may look similar may dress similar but The people that are believers are separated in in terms of like their moral and ethical distinction a way to say that would be out of Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 5 don't have no fellowship with the this is 511 have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them in other words when you are faithful to your wife and when you're morally pure you're different than most guys and you're shining a light And the world says, huh, this guy doesn't go to the break room and tell dirty stories. He doesn't have dirty pictures pinned inside his locker. He doesn't have trashy stuff on his phone. He always speaks about his wife in a real respectful way. He doesn't leer at, you know, other women or flirt with other women. What's the deal with him? Moral and ethical distinction. He's separate from the world. You get it? That's just one example, one simple example. It's not the only thing. We could just go on and on in Romans in chapter 12. It says... uh, to, to, to dedicate your body to God. And the very next verse, word word, the next verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, and don't be conformed to the world but be transformed inside out from, by the renewing of your mind. Do you, you get what I'm saying? From the beginning of the Bible to the very end, we have this command to be different, to be unique to be separate, morally and ethically distinct, holy in our conduct, in our speech, the things that we do and the things that we say, the way that we think. And this is coming to the end of the world as we know it. The angel says, get away, get out. Don't be a part of that. You'll reap the same judgment. So one day soon, God will call the faithful out. There are 10 of these, so i got to keep moving. One day soon, her sins will reach heaven, and God will judge her. Verse 5. Her sins have heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Don't invest in the world because God called the faithful out of it. Don't invest in the world system because her sins will one day reach heaven, and God will pour out judgment. And if you've been coming to church for the last 14 weeks, you you know that God is going to really be serious about pouring out a series of, of final judgments. We must Care most, not about what people think, but what about God, about what God thinks. He's the, God is the ultimate judge. Popular culture is not the ultimate judge. Your your, your mother-in-law is not the ultimate judge. The popular person you want to be like isn't going to be there in the end to mete out rewards and judgments. It's God you want to please. So God is the ultimate judge. We have now gone to the end of the world as we know it. And what do we see? God is the one you want to please. And he has made it clear that he is pleased with his son. And you must hide in his son for God to be pleased with you. And you can, but, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. One day soon, God will call the faithful out, number one. These notes are online as well. One day soon, her sins will reach heaven and God will judge her. So you must take care to please God. It matters what God thinks. Number three, one day soon, the judgment of God will be poured out to match the measure of her sin one day the judgment of god would pour out to match the measure of her sin verse 6 pay her back herself she herself has paid back others pay her back as she herself has paid back others repay her double for her deeds mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed it's a it's a reference to she's persecuted the faithful and now god's going to persecute her judgment of god would pour out in the to match the measure of her sin you don't want to be a part of that world system number four one day soon this powerful prosperous world system and it is powerful and prosperous will not be able to resist the power of God or shelter her from his wrath the Bible says in verse 8 strong is the Lord who judges her for this reason her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine she'll be burned up with a fire and strong is the Lord mighty is the Lord Who has judged her nobody's going to withstand the power of god so it simplifies your life doesn't it if you have a vision of heaven the beginning of eternity the end of the world it's like the apostle john you get an epiphany a dawning of light of what is the ultimate thing what's the world gonna what's it gonna end like that changes you that ruins you for the ordinary get it that ruins you for the ordinary that 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 you look at everything differently now This is what he's appealing to the world is wealthy and powerful and strong the world system looks like everything it looks like all that matters it would be tempting to invest and buy into that but god says no i i I sent a a vision to an to an elderly man And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the vision down, passed it on to the church. This world is going to end in flaming fire someday, the world that's against God will. Number five, one day soon the world system will come to a sudden end. Do you notice when we read how we stopped four times and we said, in a single day, in a single day, in a single day, in a single day. Okay, you that have, you that are old people, I speak at camps. And you you ever think when I speak it, I'm going to speak it four times this summer and fall, and and I will talk to people who were not alive when 9-11 happened. Isn't that crazy? You were, though. I mean, you that are old like me. We remember that. Yeah. But remember, though, that was just a small thing, really. It was a huge, but it was a small. In a world scale, was it not just a small thing? But did it change the world? Change changed the world as we know it. When they, when they flew a plane into a couple of towers and they flew the plane of the Pentagon, and when the, the plane that was probably headed for the White House or for Washington crashed in the field in Pennsylvania, the world as we know it changed, didn't it? And that was such a tiny scale. It's an example. What will happen when God himself begins to pour out judgment on the earth? We thought it was disruptive to have COVID. Oh, we can't go to a baseball game now oh, we can't go on a vacation now. A little minor kind of thing began to make its way around the world with a very, very tiny percentage of people who are gravely ill, serious, but very, very tiny percentage compared to, like, it could be the Ebola or something that was very extremely deadly. When God begins to pour out plagues upon the earth, I would want to be on the right side. One day soon, the world system will come to a sudden end. Verse 8, 10, 17... It's actually four times, 19 as well. Six, one day soon the earth will mourn its collapse and all of heaven will rejoice. See this morning in verse 9, kings of the earth committed sexual immorality, lived in luxury, will weep and, and wail. Look at verse 11, merchants of the earth will weep and mourn. Not because they care, but because their investment is going down in flames Fifteen merchants of the wares who gain wealth from her will stand afar off, fear her torment, weep and mourn aloud. While they watch the smoke of civilization as we know it spiraling upward, they will see their God is burning up. And everything they invested in and all that they had their security in, it'll be gone and they'll mourn. 19 and 20, notice this again. They threw dust on their heads, wept and mourned, crying out a laugh of the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth has been laid waste. One day soon, net number seven, one day soon, souls of men and women will perish forever. In this long list of merchandise, which is most of us kind of deal in merchandise or we deal in information technology or information, sharing information or people helping, whatever. But almost everything described about what we've done is included in this, And then with, with our wealth, with our livelihood, we buy merchandise. And our, a lot of what our lives are, are about our taking care of our merchandise, ensuring our merchandise, storing our merchandise, using our merchandise, giving away our stuff. He lists everything you can imagine. And at the end, he says, in human souls, old Bible commentators who felt like slavery was going away, would often have a little struggle with this passage but today we understand there's a human trafficking all over the world and god still sees it and god still hates it and one day god will judge it so one day you understand the bible is teaching the souls of men and women will perish forever so it's not just about money everything and everything in this world system will be destroyed and every who is not yet submitted to Jesus, will also be, face his judgment. Number eight, one day soon, all that's beautiful on earth as we know it will end. And in verse two, Babylon, fallen and fallen is Babylon the great. Now a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. I don't know, I imagine like bombed out Syria all over the world places that used to have luxury, beauty, glory, used to be places people loved to go, would be frighteningly, hauntingly destroyed. This is what the Bible's describing. Number nine, one day soon God will vindicate the suffering of the faithful. We've already mentioned this. I think one of the things the Lord is calling us to as leaders is to call the church and our children and our grandchildren to prepare to suffer. If you have spiritual perception, you have to see this coming in our culture. Do you realize nothing ever happens in the culture that really is, that, that the Bible hasn't already explained? Even stuff we didn't expect to happen, and we go, oh yeah, that fits the, the narrative here. The end, uh, the end of, the, of the world, as we know it, especially the end of the anti-God world system of things that we consider valuable and beautiful are gonna come to an end, and they're gonna come to a sudden end at the hand of God before the return of Christ in beauty and power and great glory in the new heaven and the new earth. But I'm, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You get a chance this week, look up Sheep Among Wolves. It's a video. Sheep Among Wolves, look it up. Or Sheep Among Wolves 2, What's It About You Say. It's a very well done video about the church in, the, the fastest growing church in the world, which is in Iran I'm sorry, that's not correct. Iraq. It's in Iraq. Fast-growing church among Muslim converts in Iraq. And it's under heavy persecution. And the people in that church believe in a future for Israel. Can you imagine this? The people in that church, the converts of the church in Iraq, believe in a future for Israel. Israel. They're, they are in house churches under persecution. And in, this, in the video, a lady gives her testimony. That she escaped there and came to the states and she was able to live in freedom and practice religious freedom. After a while, she said to her husband, I, I'm afraid what's happening to us, what's happening to our children, I think our faith was stronger when we were being persecuted. Let's go back and serve the suffering church. Folks, I... I don't want to stay here very long, but if we think we can just vote into power, people who love Jesus, and we think there's any future help in that, we're fools. That is what the people did when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they were going to make him king and have him overthrow the Romans and bring his immediate power to earth in a political. That's not going to happen. There might be a revival, but it won't be because we voted a quasi-Christian into power. Okay, so um, I know you're thinking deeply about this. I, I would just say, now we have before us a picture of the end of the world. This is how we know that the world system is gonna end. It doesn't say anything about, like, put the Democrats over there so God can kill all of them and all the Republicans God's gonna spare. Doesn't say that. Not gonna be that way. There's a religious group in, verse, in chapter 17, a, world, a powerful worldwide religious group that's going to be, be destroyed by God through the Antichrist. And then the whole world system is going to go down. And then Jesus returns and reigns in power and great glory to those who believe in him. And then the kingdom will be set up. We're not going to vote that in, the kingdom in. And so what do we do? We gather, we gather men and women for Christ. We make sure our sons and daughters are ready to suffer. We are ready to suffer. Our grandchildren have to be ready to suffer, prepared to follow Jesus, whatever it costs. That's the the truth of the Bible. If you read it, 10, you're wondering if I was ever going to get to 10. Here it is. One day soon, all the glory will be God's alone. Like, am I preaching to Mormons? What in the world? But one day soon, all the glory will be God's alone. This is verse verse twenty, f- f- verse nine. Look what it says there. Verse nine: Kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail, and mourn. They'll see the smoke of her burning, and they'll stand afar off and fear her torment. Alas, alas, you great city, mighty Babylon! In a single hour, your judgment is come. Chapter 19 and verse 1, we're going to get ahead of ourselves. It's the same unit of thought. It doesn't really complete unless you weave the first few verses of 19 into 18. And So there's some relief here. Eddie, you're right. Verse 20 is the sweet spot. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment against her. Because this is the vindication of the saints, but but if we're allowed to use chapter 19, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying hallelujah. There's no hallelujah in 18. There's a bunch of them in 19. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. And he, he's judged the great prostitute which corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. They're rejoicing over this. And the 24 elders, and there they are again. And the four living creatures, there they are again. Fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice. From the throne came a voice. Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. But now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Don't invest your time, your money, your effort, your energy, your trust in this anti-God world system. Don't do it. So think about this. It might be a good time for us to think, what am I doing that will last forever? What am I doing that will matter forever? How am I making investments in the things to come? In the people that will last forever. What do we have that will survive the fire of God's judgment on earth? Here's the way Peter said it. In 2 Peter 3, 7 and 10 through 13, he said, The heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition, destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and both the earth and the works in them will be burned up or laid bare. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, for, for which the heaven will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we ourselves, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In in a wonderful mystery, God is going to refine the earth with fire the same earth but renewed, like a new creation, like you'll have a, be the same person with a creation body, like Jesus was the same man with a creation with a resurrection body, and the earth has the same earth with a resurrection body. He's going to burn the curse out of the earth and, and we'll have the new heavens and we'll have the new earth and we'll have the new Jerusalem in which we will live forever. What are you doing right now that matters in that world? And what are you doing now that lasts into that world? And what do you have now that will survive the fire that will Burn up this world. Maybe you heard the story about uh, John Patton in a powerful biography of this Scottish missionary who was a young man and wanted to go to the Hebrides Islands out near near Hawaii. He he was he decided to go there to these islands. The last person that had gone there had been eaten by cannibals. In a meeting, he 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 announced his intent to go to the Hebrides, and Mr. Dixon, one of the one of the elders, says, but but you will be eaten by the cannibals. He remembered that uh, Williams and Harris went to uh, the the Aramanga, one of the islands in the Hebrides when he was only 19 years old and was immediately killed and eaten by cannibals. What about the cannibals, he said. Patton, the young man, says, Mr. Dixon, he said, "You you are advanced in years now And your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave where you will be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. In the great day in my resurrection body will rise, fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now Patton had had a vision of Jesus. Do you? He had a glimpse of the end of the world, the beginning of the next, and he was never the same. He was ruined for the ordinary. What are you doing that will last forever, matter forever, survive the fire? Went to a funeral of a young pastor, friend, actually kind of a shirt-tail relative of mine. He was, he was a pastor, faithful pastor over in Muskegon. He was driving in Grand Rapids one day. His heart burst and he died. I went over to his funeral and his church was packed. They always packed the church for the pastor's funeral. It's a really beautiful, faithful man of God who served the Lord, young guy, younger guy. And then after the funeral was over, I went back to the fellowship hall, and the ladies of the church had put out pies and such. I looked over, and I saw a tall man standing there. And when I saw him, my heart was so sad. And it was his dad. Steve Worth was his name. His dad's name was John. John was a school teacher. He did all of his school teaching in the same school system in Quincy. He lived in uh, over by uh, Quincy. Lived in little burg over there. I forgot the name of it. Anyway, did all of his teaching there, and then he became an administrator there. Spent all his time there. A few months later, we got a call, and he had suddenly died, and I went over to Coldwater to his funeral. Now I'd been to the son's funeral, and now to the father's funeral. It was a beautiful funeral. Can I say it like that? They sang his favorite hymns Great is thy faithfulness, how great thou art. The songs that he loved and sang. He was an adult Sunday school teacher. People got up to eulogize him. His church, other church members got up and said, He was a good man. He loved the Lord. He was faithful to his wife and good to his kids. And, and he was. Uh, uh, honest man, and he taught us the Bible. And other students, students that he had when they were little, they're old people now. They got up at the funeral and they gave a testimony about John Worth and his faithfulness to God. His neighbors got up, and they gave testimony about the kind of man that he was. People got up and said, "You know, when my dad left our family, he stepped in and helped out, fixed things, helped with things." He went to church, he taught his Sunday school class on a Sunday, he listened to the preaching, he sang the hymns, he he went home and sometime in the afternoon after dinner, sitting in his recliner, his heart just gave out, he went to be with the Lord. Nobody knew he was sick. The pastor then got up after all the eulogies, after the hymns and the eulogies, the pastor got up to preach. The pastor said something really unusual. The pastor said, well, well, I didn't write a a message today for John because a while ago his sister died and she was cremated and they were going to go out to where she lived for a memorial service. And so Sunday afternoon after dinner, he wrote a sermon for her funeral. Then he hit the print button and it printed out. And then he sat down in his recliner and he went to be with the Lord from there last thing he did was print out a sermon that he was going to preach at his sister's funeral. And today, I'm just going to read that sermon. And then everybody got quiet. And John Worth preached his own funeral. I was alone, and I got back in my car, got back out on Route 12 there, and I said to the Lord, God, let me, let me live and die like that. Let me be faithful and have my eyes on another world and the world that's to come, to be a faithful man, to follow Jesus, to bring others with me, to be a blessing. That's all I want. As I thought about our service today, I thought how beautiful it would be to do two or three things before we go home. One to sing a beautiful old hymn, This is My Father's World. He's going to take it back someday, make it beautiful again. I want you to sing. Would you? I'd love to hear you sing that. And I think you could bless one another by singing. As you stand together as, as we sing, This is my father's world. And then we've arranged for uh, Neil Vite is the chairman of our elders. He's back from Florida. We're grateful to have him. And I asked him today if he would come and if he would bless you and pronounce a benediction to close our service today. But sing with all your heart to the Lord, This is my father's world. <laughs>